My name is Patrick Hines. I'm the co-host of True Crime Obsessed Podcast. Welcome to episode three of Obsessed with Abducted in Plain Sight. If you've seen the film or listened to our first two episodes, you know that Abducted in Plain Sight centers around 12-year-old Jan Broberg and her family and their pedophile neighbor, Bob Birchtold, who was so obsessed with Jan that he kidnapped her twice in an attempt to have her for himself. This episode is all about Jan's parents, their choices and mistakes. We'll be sharing new interview clips of Jan's parents talking about their sexual and emotional infidelities with Birchtold. He said, uh, I found my one and only or something to that effect. And I said, oh, don't say that. But I remember the way it made me feel. You'll hear a new story from Jan's dad about how he believes Birchtold once tried to kill him to get him out of the way. It was just an accident, you know, then. As I look back now, I can see his ulterior motive was to get rid of me. We'll share more from our new interview with Jan, including tough questions about her parents' relationships with her kidnapper, and we dive deep into Jan's dad's sexual encounters with Birchtold and what, if anything, they mean. Did you ever have a conversation with your father about his own sexuality and if he'd ever questioned that? When Abducted in Plain Sight premiered on Netflix, it got a huge reaction. The world was revolted by Birchtold, obviously. But just as much it felt, the world was enraged by the actions and or inactions of Jan's parents. And how, at times, they seemed to put their own desires ahead of the safety and well-being of their adolescent daughter. This was my co-host, Jillian Pensavalli, and I on True Crime Obsessed when we covered the documentary just a few days after it premiered. Sorry, I'm so mad. I'm sorry you get no, that one. Too, it's an exciting time for you to be sleeping with, with your daughter's kidnapper, kidnapper and rapist? I know. The Marianne and the audacity of this fish. We were mad, you guys. So much of the internet vitriol directed at Jan's parents stemmed from their naivete when it came to what people saw as the obvious warning signs that Jan was in danger with Birchtold. For example, Jan's parents knew there was something off about Birchtold's feelings for their daughter. His fascination with Jan was a little disturbing. But they still did things like allow her to go on trips with him. I remember being carried into the motel and I was groggy and in and out of consciousness. Jan had said that she had woken up and saw him naked when this whole trip to Seattle came up. Of course, Jan's parents' infidelities with Birchtold were among the most salacious details in the film, and we talk a lot about that in this episode. But there were other things, things that felt more obviously and directly detrimental to Jan's safety that her parents just seemed to miss. Like how Birchtold was able to convince Jan's parents that a doctor had prescribed him a particularly bizarre form of therapy. He said to me, Bob, part of my therapy is to just spend some time alone with, with your daughters. Would you mind? And I said, well, no. And he says, you can call the doctor and ask him to explain it to you if you want to. And I says, oh, I trust you. After Janet had gone to bed, he just lay down by her. And we learn in the film that according to court transcripts, Birchtold was allowed to lay in Jan's bed approximately four to six times a week right up until the day she was taken. And then, after the first kidnapping, when their daughter had been missing for weeks and the FBI dragged Birchtold back to the United States, Jan's parents bowed to blackmail threats made by the Birchtolds, who said that they would expose the, quote, sexual dirty laundry between the two Bobs if Jan's parents didn't drop 
the kidnapping charges. And so they did it. They refused to pursue charges against the man who kidnapped their daughter. Birchfield was bound over for trial, but I don't have any witnesses all of a sudden. The Brobergs basically took the government's case and stomped on it. Marianne, Jan's mother, of course, goes on to have a second affair with Birchtold. And remember, this is after he kidnapped her daughter and married her at age 12 in Mexico. The internet screamed. All of this created enough chaos and distraction for Birchtold to be secretly seeing Jan in her bedroom in the middle of the night without her parents ever knowing. And his being able to convince her at 14 years old to leave with him again. To disappear together for several months so that he could continue the cycle of abuse and rape that had started when she was 12 years old. So were we, the viewing public, justified in our outrage? When the internet became flooded with memes of Jan's parents, did they deserve it? When podcasters, radio show hosts, and TV anchors were screaming into the void about our rage towards Bob and Marianne Broberg, were we all missing something? It turns out, maybe we were. That is what we're hoping to figure out today, with these new stories and interviews and answers from Jan Broberg herself. Once again, I'm here with Sky Borgman, the director of Abducted in Plain Sight. Hi, Sky. Hi, how are you? I'm good. So yes. lots to, lot to get into today. Lot to get into. <laughs> the most divisive parents on the planet. Yes. Well, th- here's my first question. Did you have a sense when you were interviewing the Brobergs and they were revealing all of these very personal details, Jan aside, mostly I'm, I'm talking about the parents, could you have foreseen that there was going to be this m- massive outburst of emotions and re- reactions to Jan's parents from the millions and millions of people who had watched the film. No, I wasn't. I wasn't really expecting that. I knew that people would have very complicated emotions towards them. No question about it. So I, I don't know that I was surprised by the massive outburst, but um, but the disproportionate sort of outburst and how many people were just so angry and and just hateful towards her parents. I think one of the ways that might help explain why Jan's parents did the things that they did, including having, you know, sexual encounters and romantic relationships with Birch Told, who would eventually be their daughter's kidnapper, is to understand that Jan's entire family had been groomed. Right. Not just Jan. Like, that was a concept that was new to me, too, when I learned it. And you asked one of your experts about it in another clip that didn't make it into the film. So let's listen to that clip, and then we'll chat about it. In the case of Birch Told, all accounts indicate that what he he sought to do was create a bond that had the individual with whom he was interacting feel special. Both Jan's mother and her father indicated in their testimony that he made them feel like he was someone who was on their level, who they could really speak to, who they could be intimate with emotionally as well as physically. And those tactics, that sense of uh, making the the target of the predator feel like they are someone who is unique in the world, who is special, plays to the part of all of us that want to be recognized, valued, and treasured. And what what was the end goal of that? In this case, clearly the end goal was to be able to have to engage in sexual relationships with Jan. Can you break that down for us a little bit? How so? Well, so that's Diana Kincannon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, the forensic psychologist. Yeah, yeah. 
And it's a lot of information to take in. Mm -hmm. And I think what I heard her say, and I had to listen to that clip a couple times to really digest it all, is that Birch told was able to prey on everybody in the family because everybody in the family needed something that he could provide. Yes. This is how predators can't just access any family. The family has to be primed to need something in order to go through the grooming process and sort of be manipulated in in the way that the predator wants to manipulate them. Yeah, I mean, I I think the other thing too is is it's a two-way street, right? It's that the family has to have these needs and a predator what they become extraordinary at is targeting those needs and and right. looking at a family and like I I imagine that he probably walked into that church and kind of looked around and you know kind of played it cool for a little while but would talk to various different people and find different cracks in each family and that's what got him thinking about how can I get in there and sort of expand those cracks and I think that's what happened with the Broberg family is that he met them he saw kids that were the same age he saw a a couple who had been married for you know 13 well at that point I guess they'd been married for for less than that maybe uh 10 or 11 years at that point but you know they're not newlyweds they're not still in that newlywed bliss they've they've been living together for a substantial amount of time so there's probably not quite as much happening in the romantic field, you know, so he saw those different places. I think that he saw opportunities with Bob, that he saw different opportunities with Marianne, and and that he thought to himself, I have the capabilities and the skills to exploit these weaknesses. So we're going to get to Bob in a minute. I want to start by talking about Marianne. In your interviews with Marianne, did you get a sense from her of what was lacking or what made her vulnerable to Birch Told's advances or, you know, the sort of grooming that he was doing of her as the parent? Yeah, I think that Marianne and Bob Broberg's courtship uh, when they first started to fall in love happened largely through letters. Uh-huh. He was overseas. He was doing his mission work. She was at home. And so they were sending love letters back and forth to each other. And then, so I don't think throughout that courtship, there was really the opportunity, much of an opportunity for flirtation to happen, like actual physical flirtation. And he was the first man she had ever sort of fallen in love with, first man she had been with sexually. So Bob Birch told comes along and and just flowers her with attention that I'm I'm not sure that that Bob Broberg ever really did that with her. I don't uh-huh. know that he was so openly flirtatious, so openly complimentary, so really unabashedly sexual with her. And and all of these things that he would do, I think she felt differently than she'd ever felt before that she was given all this attention, not so different from the attention that Birch told gave to Jan. Right. He made her feel special and beautiful and sexy and she responded to that. I want to play another clip that wasn't used in the film because in this clip, Marianne sort of shares with us one of the first moments she had that that sort of recognition. And just for clarity's sake, the he that Marianne is talking about here is Bob Birchtold, Jan's eventual kidnapper. Yeah. The 4th of July, all of us went out to the reservoir in American Falls to water ski. He wanted to teach all of us how to water ski. We'd all been out previously. Uh, I went out to water ski. Jan was in the boat. She was guiding me and telling me what to do. And we were clapping, or they were clapping because I was, I was doing it. I was going over waves and doing really well. When, but another boat from the other side all of a sudden went right in front of me. And I went into the water well, he went berserk. He started screaming, are you all right? I said, yes, trying to get my breath, because it was a shock. And he and Jan pulled me over the side of the boat in there, and he said, 
I just, I just thought that propeller may have cut your legs off. That guy's propeller on that boat. Never thought of that. And he grabbed and hugged me and he said, Oh, Marianne, if anything had happened to you, I would die. I could not stand it. It was the first time I got that, that kind of a response from him. And my, I thought, wow, he really does care about me. You know, that was probably the first time I really felt that he, he, he liked me a whole lot. So how real do you think that was on the part of Birch Told? Oh, I think that's a good question. I don't, I don't know. I think it was probably reasonably real. I don't think he was manufacturing all that much. I think that he had, he had a sincere, genuine appreciation for Marianne. I think he also saw an opportunity to get her to feel a certain way. And I think those two things sort of converged within him in a way that I don't, I don't know exactly how that works, but I think I don't know that you can manufacture it all. I think there's some sort of sincerity there. Do you have any sense of where that moment fell in the the scheme of the timeline of things? I think that was shortly within a year, like after that they had initially met. Yeah. I think he started the flirtation pretty quickly to see kind of where that would lead to. But I think that it was really sort of this, this constant kind of thing for the first, from the time that Jan was 10 years old when they first met until he kidnapped her when she was 12, that he was planting the seeds with Marianne, that she was this vivacious, beautiful, amazing, wonderful woman. Coming up, more clips you've never heard that show how things with Marianne and Birch Told progressed. Marianne gets hot, and Jan addresses head-on some of the toughest criticism of her mother. So there's another Marianne clip that didn't make it into the film that I want to play here. Okay. And of all the clips that didn't make it into the film that you shared with me, this one really stood out because the tone of it is so different from the other clips. And, and Marianne is, is just being so honest with you. Oh, yeah. And just for clarity's sake for the listeners, Marianne's telling a story about going to a dance. And in this moment, she had been dancing with her husband, Bob, and they switch partners. And then she's dancing with Bob Birch told the eventual kidnapper. Yeah. We had a church dance called the Golden Green Ball. And at that dance, we were having a great time and they paid, played some of the old favorites from the 50s. It was really fun to, to have a live out orchestra. And when Bob and I switched partners and he danced with Gail, I with Bob, he, uh, we did the jitterbug and we did a few other fun things as we danced all the way and got on the other side of the of the hall and he said that when the dance was coming to an end he whispered in his ear and said I don't ever want this to end he said uh, I found my one and only or something to that effect and I said oh don't say that but I remember the way it made me feel I was excited I got uh, quite emotion uh, I don't know if I'd say emotional I got quite hot <laughs> maybe hot flashes and I thought oh my I can't feel this way about him but he knew he had pushed my buttons I think at that time because he often would come by the house and would tell me boy you're beautiful oh you you have the most beautiful children why didn't you and I meet first and you know have this relationship and we could have we 
we would have all these beautiful children together. It's so interesting because Marianne is willing to be so like vulnerable and honest here. Yeah. But then like in the wake of the movie's release, this is one of the things she's most criticized for. You know, remembering people perceived that Marianne was remembering her affair with Birch Told fondly. And it sounds like that here, you know? I mean, I'm not saying that that's what she was feeling, but it but it does sound that way a little bit. Right. Well, I think what Marianne was doing here and and, and partially because, you know, we had asked her to sort of go back to that period in time and what was was it that made you fall in love with him? Because especially for me, that was critical in understanding her motivations, right? Like that she was feeling hot for him, that she was feeling overwhelmed with these emotions. That's the only way I could really understand her actions was that she was sort of derailed because of the way she was feeling for Birch Told and not able to see what was happening to Jan. So for me, it was important to know how that falling in love process or or hotness or excitement happened. And so I was asking her to to tell me that. So, and I know that people had a a very big response and that she was enjoying this and that she was looking back fondly. And, and it's so amazing to me because when I, I watch these clips with her and even when I listen back to that, like I hear more just sort of a resignation, maybe not so much with this one, but in other ones that appear in the film, a resignation that this is what happened and just a remorse that it did happen and that she's she's very sorry for it now, but but certainly was able to go there and kind of feel that that way that she had felt 40 years ago. Yeah, in the interview that you did with Jan for the podcast, you guys had a conversation about this very thing, about the way that some people perceived that she was remembering Birch Told fondly in these moments. So let's hear what Jan had to say about that. So... What do you think? There's been a lot of backlash uh, since the film came out on Netflix, and especially towards your mom, and especially towards how she comes off on camera. And people have said it seems like she's still in love with B, that she's smiling and sort of remembering the good times. What do you say to that? Well, you have to know my mother has been talking about her part in this story for 20 years. So for one thing, she's not telling this story from the first time. She's not an actress. She doesn't get on camera and necessarily film well. And she's also, by nature, the even, the steady. My dad was the artist. My dad was a florist and a designer, and he played the piano, and he was the emotional up and down and funny guy. And, you know, that was who my dad was. My mother was was the balance you know, everything was always steady with mom. I mean, I think I heard my mom swear one time in my whole life. And so there were things, a lot of things about my mom. And and my sister Susan was the one who said, Mom, we are taking things off of your Facebook page because we think it's completely unfair. People don't know you. They don't know the rest of the story. You know, they don't know the fact that you went back to school and became this amazing social worker and placed kids in foster care and in adoptive homes and dedicated your life to, you know, trying to change some of the laws to get rid of the statute of limitations for sexually abused young people and to bring in the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children into Idaho and Utah that didn't have that connection to that center and all these things that my mom had done. They don't know those things. So we're taking these things off your Facebook because my mom said, are you guys taking stuff off my Facebook? (laughs) And we said, yeah, people hate you. (laughs) They're really mad at you. And we can't stand it because we know how wonderful you are. (laughs) And she is the one that looked at all of us that were standing there. And she's like, are people talking about something that they've never talked about before? We're like, yeah. She goes, does it matter then? It doesn't matter if they're mad at me. I'm mad at me. 
I wish I had seen through this guy. I wish I had, you know, didn't have to tell this story and be this honest. But I did it. And and I didn't see it. And this is what happened. And if it's somebody is talking about this that has never talked about this subject before, we are accomplishing exactly what we set out to do, was to get people to talk about something that is so close to home, that is so ugly, that we can actually see change happen. First of all, that is an incredible list of accomplishments for Marianne. Yeah. Did you know all that going in? Yeah. Yeah. We knew that she had gone back to school. She went back to school at the same time that all of her daughters were in school. And, and it was Marianne's... Um, solution really to try to really figure out why what had happened had happened. And so, you know, going in and, and, and trying to institute change and be a social worker and do these different things. And that's, that's who Marianne is. And it, it may not come across in the, in the film quite that way that she, she is a bit of a go getter and she always has been, you know, yeah. I mean, there's a story that, that Jan, I think maybe it was Karen who told us the story about, you know, when the toilet was broken, it was Marianne who went to go get the plunger and fix it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> she was the one doing it. Uh huh. So, yeah, I mean, she's, she, she did a lot of good. Okay, so there's one last Marianne story we have to talk about before we move on to her husband. Okay. This story is about how during the second kidnapping, Jan had been gone for about three months at this point and Birch told, who everyone knew had taken Jan, but they were all pretending like they didn't know. Yeah. Birch told calls Marianne and says he has information about where she is. Oh, yeah. And he wants to give Marianne the information, but she has to come and meet him alone in a parking lot. So, she goes to see Pete Welsh, the FBI agent that they had been working with, and he says, if you're going to do this, you have to bring some protection. He said, well, you're not going without protection. Do you know how to shoot a gun? I said, well, I've shot a gun before, but it uh, was uh, not a little pistol. Well, a pistol's much easier than one of what you were shooting, and so he said, let me give this to you to take. At least you could scare him off. If he does anything or tries anything, he said, at least you have protection. So I put it in my purse and he said, now, just told me what to do, how to use it. We went through that. But anyway, I I went into the parking lot. Birch told was sitting there. He said, come and get in my car. You know, and I sat there with that on, and then when he moved to move uh, kind of across towards me, it scared me. I didn't know what he was doing. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've got this zipper undone halfway. Should I stick my hand in and pull this trigger? <laughs> I didn't, but it was scared me. So obviously Marianne didn't get any useful information out of Birch Told in this meeting and it sort of came to nothing. But the reason we're talking about it is because after Abducted in Plain Sight came out, the press got wind of this story that Marianne had brought a gun to a meeting with Birch Told and the internet sort of went crazy over this story. So how did the press find out about it? And then why did they go so bonkers over it? So when I was doing some of the press after the film came out, I'd mentioned this scene. Somebody, I think, advanced. Fair had asked me if there was anything that we'd left out of the film. And this scene was one of the scenes that I told him about. And so everybody sort of grabbed on to it. And I, of course, hadn't given much context or it got cut out in the writing of the article. I'm not sure which, but nobody really knew when it happened or what had happened or anything like that. But a lot of people felt that Marianne maybe had some preconceived idea of what might be happening. But it really wasn't the case because her daughter had been kidnapped a second time. And 
And that's when she had the gun. So I guess that's why people were so kind of crazy about this detail, because she had a gun. They felt like it was something that she knew about, but it wasn't really anything that she had known about at any time to be able to stop the second kidnapping from happening. One of the things that viewers of the film seem to have taken issue with Marianne about was the way that she can tell these stories without a real sense of urgency, almost as though she doesn't understand how crazy this all is. Do you understand that criticism? Does that does that criticism of Marianne make sense to you? I definitely understand the criticism, but, you know, I had the benefit of being in the room with her. And, and really, I think... I think it might be sort of this extended trauma that she goes through and this desire really to talk about it, but that she has this filter where it's like, maybe I can't feel this, I can talk about it because I want to do something good, but I don't know that I can really sort of feel it the way that I would 100% if I was there or, or the way that maybe people want her to feel it. Coming up, the conversation moves to Jan's dad. We get the story about the time he thought Birchtold tried to kill him. We go deep on that scene in the car. And Jan tells us what she thought about her dad's decision to share his deepest secret with the world. Okay, let's move on to Jan's dad, Bob Broberg. Okay. And the first thing we have to talk about, of course, were his sexual encounters with Birchtold. And we're being intentional about the word choice here, saying sexual encounters, right? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting because it's something that affects Jan a lot, you know, encounters, affairs. I mean, affairs seems to, to insinuate something longer term happened. More we, emotional than just more sexual. More emotional than just sexual. We don't know exactly how long it happened because we have a lot of differing accounts of that. Jan did did say in, in her interview with you in July that she knew of at least one other sexual encounter that her dad had had with Birchtold. And that was new information as far as I know. Yeah, I mean, it's new information. We were never really able to corroborate any of that. We knew for certain because Bob had told us in his interview that it had happened once and we knew for certain from court documents that there was a mention to it happening. There were... certain things alluded to, but we were never able to just fact check it. And that was something that we tried really hard to do. If somebody said something, we tried to find some other source, whether it was another person within the family who was actually there at the time or court documents from right after when this was happening, when they were going through their hearings and everything where they told the same story and and things matched up. Because there were certainly a few stories that Jan had a very different recollection of what happened than Karen had, than Marianne had, than Susan had. And that in that case, we were just like, which one is true? Uh-huh. We don't know. Let's go to the court documents and see if that's there. And if we couldn't ever corroborate, we didn't use it. Right. So before we get to the sexual encounter with Bob Birchtold and Bob Broberg in the car, there's one other thing that happened that was left out of the film. And it was an experience that Bob Broberg, Jan's dad, had on an afternoon snowmobiling with Birchtold. So let's hear that clip and then and then we'll discuss. Can't remember which mountain we were on, but we were snowmobiling and there was a creek that went down the side of the mountain. And I followed him, and we were going rather, rather fast. And uh, he quickly turned, and I went into the creek, and I flew off the snowmobile, and I still have my scars here. And I, I nearly killed myself because, you know, the the guard is right there, and I, and I hit myself in the chest first, and then in the leg, and I was in the creek, and I was really shook up. And he was laughing his head off. And I thought, hmm, that's strange. And then he helped me out. And we went home and and, uh, 
I patched my wounds and never thought anything of it. It was just an accident, you know, then. As I look back now, I can see his ulterior motive was to get rid of me. And, of course, that was far removed from my thoughts then. I thought I was the most wonderful brother he'd ever had. And it was very genuine in my feelings. I mean, Jan's dad is literally saying that Birch told her abuser and kidnapper was trying to kill him in this incident. Yeah, I I think he was trying more to humiliate him. I mean, that's that's kind of my Uh take on this, that he was trying to sort of just really knock him down a couple of pegs. I don't think he was actually trying to kill him. But who knows? I mean, who knows? But it was something where I think, you know, he was constantly, Birch told was constantly trying to sort of, you know, be the bigger, better, stronger man and making Bob Broberg feel a little bit lesser, lesser, lesser. And that was part of his approach to manipulating this family was really to sort of build Marianne up and pull Bob down. Yeah, because, you know, if he was trying to kill him and he couldn't kill him, I guess the next thought is you engage in a sexual act with him. I don't know. I I don't know how this works. Um, But apparently he sort of found a path in to get there. Yeah. So this is for sure one of the big revelations of the film is that Bob Broberg, Jan's dad and Birch told had uh, at least one sexual encounter. So let's hear that moment in the film and then we'll discuss. Mr. Birch told was very knowledgeable in the sexual field but he did not have uh, a good relationship with his wife sexually one day he came in the store and i could tell that he was extremely disturbed he says are you free let's go for a ride he says i i cannot stand my wife and i i need to have sex i could see that he he was sexually aroused he says oh Can you give me some relief? We were laughing, and he said, Oh, Bob, it's just kid stuff, and I've got to have relief. So I was dumb enough to reach over and relieve relieve him in an act of masturbation. I did the worst thing I've ever done as far as breaking the trust and the fidelity that I had with my wife. One of the craziest things I've found on the internet as it relates to the film is that there are all of these reaction videos that people have made of their loved ones watching this scene. They're all over YouTube. Right. And, you know, it is interesting to see people's reactions. It it varies from screaming to just general confusion. Yeah. When you've screened this in front of, like, audiences, what is the most common reaction in this moment? It Usually, when we screened it on the festival circuit in the theaters, it was the moment that the audience collectively laughed. Laughed. And that was a shock. Wow. The first time in the audience when people laughed, I was completely taken back. I just was like, holy cow, what is happening? And then screening after screening after screening, it got the same reaction. And I really think it was just that people were just so shocked that laughter came out. Yes, because again, this is on top of finding out that the daughter has been kidnapped twice, horribly sexually abused, been convinced that alien she's got to save a dying planet and aliens are talking to her through a tape recorder. It truly is that thing of like nothing else crazy can happen. And this is the first 20 minutes. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You went into this interview with Bob knowing this information through the court documents. Yes. 
How important was it for you to get him to share this information with you? How integral to the film was it to you? It's interesting because looking at it sort of from this side of making the film, um, I think it was important. But I think it was important for a number of reasons. I, I think it was more important that Bob actually talk about this because he hadn't really. I mean, even Karen had said after the film came out that she had learned the details about what had happened from the film, wow. not from her dad. And so I think it was very important for him to talk about it. I think it was very cathartic for him. I, I also think it was an important piece of knowing how Birch told how deeply his machinations sort of went and how much he had sort of planned this and and really gotten into the minds of both Bob and Marianne Broberg. So I think that was also an important element. So many people have asked me, did it just happen once or did it happen more than once? And and it's always interesting to me because I don't think it really matters at all. And it's fascinating to me that that's what people sort of grasp onto after watching this films is how many times did this happen? The fact is that it happened once. It may have happened more times than that. But what it managed to achieve, this sexual act between these two men, was it brought incredible shame to Bob. He was sinning yeah. in his religion. He was somehow less of a man because of his infidelity, yeah. not so much really even because of his sexuality. I think he was confused probably about his sexuality at that point. What does this mean, this interaction? And so what Bob did because of this, Bob Broberg was turned completely inside of himself and again, divert the attention from Jan, but he turned inside of himself and started questioning all of these things of who he was as a father, as a husband, as a member in his church community, as a friend to this other man. I was always interested to know what Jan's reaction was when she saw this, because as you've said, all of your interview subjects were alone in the room. Right. So it wasn't like Jan was sitting just off camera or even Marianne when Bob was giving his interview. So you asked Jan what she thought when she saw this, and, and this is what she had to say. I mean, I remember the first time I watched the documentary, the first time I screened, I'm like, you have to take that part out. You have to take that out. I don't know why my dad decided he was going to tell you that, but my dad will, he will die. And, and I know that he's the one that did the interview. And of course I wasn't in the room, but I was just, there were certain things that I just was like, oh my gosh, I have done the absolute wrong thing. I had relatives that were like, why would you do this? Why would you, you know, let anybody tell these stories? We know how wonderful you know, Bob and Mary, Uncle Bob, Aunt Marianne are, we know how wonderful your family is. And this doesn't show how wonderful you all are. And it was really hard. When she said that to you, you have to take this out. I mean, what is your role there? I mean, we sat down and had a conversation and I told her how important I thought it was to understanding Birch Tolds approach to getting into her family and more of her reaction was what followed it. We have Birch Toll's actual voice that comes and says, I entered into a homosexual relationship. And that's what she had a bigger issue with because she didn't feel like there was a homosexual relationship that had happened. And then I said, but it's Birch told himself that says entered into a homosexual relationship with your father in order to have access to you, Jan. Out of his own mouth, he's telling the audience why he did what he did was to get to her. And that, to me, was necessary to, to even give some sympathy to Bob. Yeah. And I think people did have some sympathy for Bob. And I think it also showed them a little bit of insight into who Bob Birchtold was. 
Yeah, I was wondering, too, about how Bob felt the first time he saw this. I mean, it's one thing probably to share a, a deeply personal anecdote in an interview, but then, like, maybe a whole other thing to see it on the big screen. You had a conversation with Bob about this once after a screening. Can you share that with us? Yeah, it was after the screening uh, at a festival. Bob was there. and Marianne was there. I think Susan and Karen were there. I think Susan probably brought her daughter there to watch the screening. And there was a very friendly audience. They had a lot of people from the community watching this. I think there were probably three or 400 people in the audience. And it was a very vocal audience. You know, all of the, the gasps, you know, that was happening at this screening. And it was the first time we had watched the film with the Brobergs. It was the first time, maybe even the only time that the Brobergs had watched it with an audience and felt this energy in the room. And Bob came up to me afterwards and he gave me a big hug and he told me how grateful he was for us making the film. And it was always an interesting thing to me because I was never worried about Bob and Marianne. Uh huh. They knew what they were saying to us. They knew that they wanted to get this story out. It was really that I was, I was more worried uh, about Jan and the girls because it was really, you know, putting their parents in the spotlight and it was a negative spotlight that we were putting them in. And so I, I know that with my parents, I would I would have a hard time with that if I had to do the same thing with them. Coming up, we ask the question, is Jan's dad gay? Jan shares her thoughts on her dad's sexuality. And we ask, can Jan's parents be forgiven? And do they need to be? I want to talk about Bob Broberg's sexuality. You know, the questions about is Bob gay? You know, earlier in this episode, you were discussing how you think that maybe his sex life with Marianne wasn't amazing. Is that because they were inexperienced or was it because he wasn't interested? You know, and it was one of the things you and I talked about, like, how did we want to talk to Jan about this? Yeah. Before we get to what Jan said, as you were making this, did these questions cross your mind even? And if so, did you have any thoughts about it? Yeah, it's interesting because especially living in this time now, um, most of us, some of us, maybe not that many of us, hopefully a lot more of us (laughs) (laughs) have just a more open understanding of different ways of expressing ourselves sexually and different ways of identifying. And that was absolutely not something that was happening back in the 70s. It's something that's only recently really been happening here. And I think more people are more open to it than I think actually are. Yeah. so I, I had always thought that Bob was very committed to his family and he was very committed to his church and he was committed to those girls and his community and everything. And if he had lived today, maybe he would have taken a different path and left the family. But that family is the most important thing to Bob. Mm-hmm. And and being a husband to Marianne and to those girls, I think was the most important thing to him. I, I don't know if he had it in him in the 1970s to make a decision any different than what he made. So, and then I, and then I also just sit there going, so what is gay? What does that mean? Uh-huh. And, and does it have to mean one thing? I don't think it does now. Then it did. Right. Right. Now it it's something different. And so I think that it's that Bob, you know, lived a life that made him happy. And I think he stuck with the people that he loved. Yeah. Well, here's what Jan had to say when we, when we talked to her about her dad's sexuality. Did you ever have a conversation with your father about that, about his own sexuality, and if he'd ever questioned that? You know, we, I didn't. I never had that conversation with my dad, I think because he wasn't going to go there or talk about that, and I didn't ever feel like that was part of who he was, even though we have, again, like I said, we have so many various friends from all walks of life and different 
sexual orientations. And so I felt that there was such acceptance of all those people in my life and in my home that it didn't even matter one way or the other. He was going to live this particular life. And I just, my mom, you know, has said many times, no, your dad was, he definitely was not gay. He was sensitive. He was kind. He was artistic. He was a florist. He was a lot of things where, you know, that might be the easy, you know, to stereotype your dad. But I mean, my mom and I have talked about it more than I ever said anything to my dad. And she's like, it could be that there's more leaning, you know, on that to that left side of the, of the middle line or whatever, however you want to say it, you know. But she said, but he, he was so loving and he wanted to have a good relationship with me, both, both physically, sexually, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. And so whether it was based from a true commitment or that just really was what was important to him, I, I don't know. I just, I don't have the feeling that my dad was fighting that. And I have enough experience in my own life, in my own experiences, to know what that fight looks like. So that's kind of, I guess, my answer is that, no, we didn't have that conversation. And I don't have any reason to think otherwise because of the life that I lived, you know, in my home with my dad. (laughs) It just really strikes me how open this whole family has been to emptying out the closet of the skeletons. And it has done such a service. That answer just, it just reminded me of how much we've all gained from them being willing to tell this story. Absolutely. I mean, I, I always go back to just the bravery, I think, that they all have in telling this story because it's not an easy thing to talk about. And especially when you're bearing your own soul and all of your mistakes and really just putting it out there to be judged. I mean, there, you know, you look at the social media threads and there are very, very, very few people who are coming on and saying, way to go, Brobergs. Thank you for saying something that nobody else is really talking about. Thank you for being the voice that is silenced. And now it's out there shouting. Thank you for doing this. You are so great. You are so brave. They're all just completely opposite from that. They're all really, really cruel. And so every time I get a chance, I talk about their bravery because even though, yeah, they made some really, really, really horrible, (laughs) terrible mistakes, they may still be in a little bit of denial. They love each other. Their family found a way through it. And let's be real, most families don't. Yeah, This breaks people apart in the most caustic, shattering way. And the Brobergs stuck together and they all love each other. And so I think, I think they're all pretty brave. So I guess sort of fittingly, my last question is about redemption and your role as the filmmaker. You know, we've talked a lot about the world's negative reactions to Jan's parents. And I guess I'm asking if you had the foresight that there would be sort of a backlash. And did you feel like it was your responsibility to let viewers know that, no, Marianne is a good person and Bob Broberg is a good person. And they, they really did try to be good parents. Yeah, I mean, definitely it's my responsibility because I actually feel that way. Yeah. And, and I know they made terrible mistakes but they were just so generous in telling their story. And that 
That speaks volumes to me that they sat down with me and they told the truth to their best ability when sitting in a chair with cameras rolling, knowing that a documentary is going to be made about this. They were very open about that. I think the one other piece of that, too, is that they shared their story knowing that they were going to look bad. You know, absolutely. And they don't get a say in what you keep and what you don't keep and, you know, how their story is told. They're just blindly trusting that you're going to do the right thing. And even if the right thing is exposing their mistakes without necessarily providing a whole lot of follow up on the back end. Right, right. Yeah. And I think it was also something that was that was also very cathartic for both of them to be able to tell their stories in in its entirety. I mean, that they didn't share all of the details in the book and that they chose to do that in the documentary says something. And the only reason to do this, I know a lot of people have said, well, they must have been paid so much money. They weren't paid a dime. The only reason they did this is that they hope their story helps somebody else. I mean, there's no other reason that they did this. So, So I do feel a responsibility to them, but I also feel a responsibility to the audience because these aren't evil people. They're good people who made terrible, terrible mistakes, but they shouldn't be punished now for doing that. And I think it's really important for them and for the whole family, really, that we have some sort of compassion towards them moving forward. Because I certainly had that compassion towards them. At times, I was frustrated with them, but I had a lot of compassion for them as I was working on the film. Obsessed with Abducted in Plain Sight is produced by the Obsessed Network. And all four episodes of this limited podcast series are available to binge right now. In episode four, we take you behind the scenes of the making of Abducted in Plain Sight. Director, producer Sky Borgman and editor James Kood tell us how the film developed from a scrappy independent production to a worldwide phenomenon. They share more secrets from the set, stories left on the cutting room floor, and even more detail about that thwarted Mexican adoption. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really does help people find our show. You can watch Abducted in Plain Sight on Netflix, Amazon Prime, or any other streaming platform. To learn more about Sky and her production company Top Knot Films, visit topknotfilms.com. And if you're looking for more great podcasts, and who isn't, you can find all the podcasts we make at obsessednetwork.com. 